Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 21. I'm delighted to say hello and welcome to my guest, Matteo Licata. Straight away, I'm going to ask Matteo to introduce himself as he's going to do a much better job than I can. Hi, Andrew. I'm pleased to be here chatting with you. And uh, whether who I am, I am someone who's, who is living his dream, I'd say, because uh, since, since I was little, I wanted to do two things, uh, be a car designer and live by the sea. And uh, I've been lucky enough to be able to, to do just that. I'm a car designer uh, employed by uh, Edieda Group, which is a very big consultancy company, and they work in their studio in Barcelona. I have no sympathy for you at all now. I've completely gone <laughs> off you. Totally. <laughs> it sounds it sounds like pure hell what you're having to do. Yeah, it's it's unbearable <laughs> actually. Um... <laughs> it's a dirty job that someone's got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. Um, uh, that that is awesome that you can say that you are doing your dream job and you are in the, in in a place where you want to be perfectly. Um, but I want to take us back, as I do in each show. Uh, to the beginning and try and work out where you came from to get to where you are now. So do you remember or are there family stories around the campfires on cold winter nights where people regale themselves with laughter remembering when you first got into cars? Wow, that's um, a question I can't really answer precisely because I think um, I've been mad for cars Mm, since I have memories, like uh, since I was very, very, very little, always, always mad for cars, collecting toy cars. Uh, my mom was buying me magazines even before I could actually read them, but they wanted them for the pictures. <laughs> oh, yeah, I wonder where the designer came out from. <laughs> <laughs> but you you grew up in Italy, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, I'm uh, from let's say the former capital of design of Italy, Turin. There's, there is a there is a higher chance of you growing up and and wanting and lusting after cars um, and doing it from uh, as soon as you're um, conscious and as soon as you can open your eyes and things like that. So um, it's not a massive surprise. But um, was there anybody in your family that was involved in the car industry or anything that helped propel that along? Or was it just a general, we like cars? Strangely enough, in my family, there were no, no, car, there were no car freaks, let's say. Mm-hmm. My, my father was more, uh, is more of a motorcycle person. Mm. My mom, of course, doesn't know anything about cars nor cares. <laughs> so it was, it, it was I th- I'd say, spontaneous. Yeah, okay. no explanation really for that. Well, I, w- I, would, I would suppose it's being uh, exposed to all the wonderful Italian design when you were growing up. So, somehow, yes, but you know, growing up in Turin, you know, the city wasn't exactly full of Pininfarina masterpieces. So what you did, were, what you did see on the streets were like Fiat One Thirty Ones, 
Fiat Unos <laughs> everywhere, um, Fiat Stradas, that, that was the, uh, that, that were the car, that, uh, those were the cars you can, you were actually more likely to encounter. It was all Fiats because in the 80s, mm. Fiat, uh, Fiat was still very successful. And um, in Turin, there was a Fiat, Un- a Fiat Uno everywhere you look at. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> but I do remember uh, that, that my father used to take me to to see to see the um, uh, to see the Ferrari dealer the tour the, that was the Ferrari dealer from the from the region from the Piemonte region I, I still remember the name the, it was the Walter Bordese long being closed but I still remember the, this showroom all dark all and with the, these red cars like. Uh, making full contrast, uh, contrast, and I remember seeing uh, at least a Testarossa and an F40 brand new, unlicensed, unregistered, there in the showroom. And yeah, that 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 that, that was fun. But really, the I think the car that helped me along, you know, that helped me let's say nurture this passion about cars was actually my my dad's Citroen BX. Oh, I have fond memories of BXs. You do? Yeah, I used to have one. Which one was? Uh, I had, oh, now going back, I had a, I think it was a 1.4 Saint-Tropez Special Edition. Oh, yeah. In white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The one that was all white. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. I think in Italy it was called the Calanc or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but my um, growing up, my dad owned a, a CX Safari. That's where my real heartstrings were pulled by um, Citroen. Oh, yeah, the CX. Yeah, I remember that from the ch- from my childhood. Um, a, neighbor of a, a neighbor of us did have a, a CX. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, my, my dad, when when these were new and the hottest thing in the market, bought, bought first a, a first series diesel and then mm-hmm. uh, a GTI, which was the 1.6 engine only sold in Italy. Mm. I did love those cars as a child immensely because, you know, I painted you a picture before of everything. It's Fiat Regatta, Fiat Strada, mm. and the lot. And so the, the BX among those cars looked like a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and me, I remember me myself, I'm like five, six, six years old, looking at, looking from the window of the BX, looking at the other cars, and said, "But why are these people buying all the buying these pieces of when they can have a BX?" <laughs> <laughs> it was like I was I, I was in love with that guy. Yeah. So going through school, did you did you know that you wanted to be a designer then? Uh, did you was was art a very strong um, a strong passion of yours then, or did that develop as you got older? 
Mm, it was very, very early on in my childhood because, you know, I have a small story about that. Um, since, since I could hold a pencil, I, I started drawing cars, like since I was very, very, very little. And I remember that when I was starting out at school, I was like five or six. Um, the very first day at school, uh, the, the teacher called my mom because I was I was uh, I already got myself into trouble because the the teacher wanted me to draw I don't know what but I wanted to draw a car and there was no way I was going to draw anything else <laughs> <laughs> so because I was used to draw to draw cars and I said no no I'm draw- I'm drawing a car and I don't care what you say <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've always drawn cars. I will continue to always draw cars. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it, it was it was just uh, just like that. But of course, at the time, I didn't know that they were there were actually people doing this for a living. This realization happened at a, when I was around ten, ten years old. I think so, and mm-hmm. I clearly remember. I think I posted it on Twitter. Um, I had a school diary uh, from Giugiaro. I I don't know. Uh, uh, I've never seen it. I should look on eBay because Giugiaro in in that period, uh, late 80s, early 90s, he was actually publishing a school diary. And I had this diary at the school and every month there was a nice picture of one of his typical um, 80s prototypes, like the Aspid, Asgard, and all these sort of things. And mm. I was hooked. And I said, wow, that this, there, there are people that do this for a living. And so that was set. Ten-year-old, I didn't know how yet, but I decided that I wanted to be a car designer. And nothing else. Well, what a brilliant idea to do that—to to open the eyes of of children who who, like you said, would have no idea, no concept, probably that these things are possible. And then you're you're showing them, you're you're helping them, but then in the same instance, you're also showing them, you know, you're giving them something useful, but you're showing them some some possibilities. Some some there are ways to th- different ways to think. There are ways to explore. Um, I think that's just a brilliant idea. Um, yes, and obviously, and as as because of that, it will never happen again <laughs> today. So you know, yeah, I I don't know if actually Jujaro thought about that or no, or it was like you know just merchandising. But that mm. diary, oh yeah, probably was just merchandising. <laughs> <laughs> there was no 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 nice noble <laughs> yes <laughs> he wasn't doing it for the greater good <laughs> <laughs> once you realized that 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 designing cars was a possibility obviously that's fired up your imagination and you've you've sat there and gone well that solved what i'm going to do in the future did you then have to work out how to get there or was the school able to point you in the right direction mm, well no the school actually professors teachers had no idea but actually didn't need them because being a carnat and growing up in turin 
it wasn't so difficult to find the right information. Mm, so yeah. um, I discovered pretty early on which were the schools actually in Turin there were, there were two and there are still two. So I didn't really have to look too much. It was actually a clear path. It was finishing school um, the, uh, in the best way I could and then pay up and uh, choose one of these two very expensive private schools that taught uh, car design in Turin. Okay. That was that. You, you followed that path through then? Yeah, totally. It was it was a pretty pretty much a clear prog- a clear progression, and um, and and that was it. The only shame is that um, these schools, the the, the the schools that do that do design tuitions, tend to be private, tend to be very expensive. So I have to thank my family for support first and foremost because mm. without them would have been very difficult and i know of people that had the talent had the will but weren't so fortunate mm. so there have been there have been uh, boys and girls that that uh, had to give up this because they couldn't get themselves in into the school, and this is a and this yeah. is true not only in Italy, pretty much across the globe. Yeah. So these two design schools were they uh, did they teach in a similar way, or were they opposing in the the way that they felt design should be done? I can't really say because you know I picked one and the other really I don't know. In the other, I briefly came back as a teacher, but only for a few months. So I can't really say. I think they were broadly similar. There, wa- there wasn't such a huge difference in the way they approached the things. Mm. Pretty, much, okay. pretty much comparable. Uh, I think in general that card, it, it depends a lot on the thing on on the person because you know there are design schools that are considered better than others but in the end it's always you that you have to to do your best and te- and um, make the most of the opportunity you have because otherwise there's no there's no nice school to save you. Yeah. How did you choose the one you chose then? I don't really know. It, it gave me a better feeling. Just, just like that. I um, I like I just I, I like it. I totally best. know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> you can walk into a place and feel comfortable. Yeah, it was that. I, um I like the place. I I like the people. And so I said Oh, okay, this is the one. So, when you're being taught, is it very was was your school very prescriptive, or was there a lot of freedom and you were given general ideas and general guidance? How how to people who like myself, but people who don't go who have never been to a design school, how 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 are you taught design? Because it seems something on one hand, well, it's art, it's so difficult to teach art, but it, of course, it isn't something you can't teach you you have to there have to be fundamentals oh yeah absolutely and i think 
the they simply they start from the basics of of drawing because they 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 start clean they 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 start like as if you weren't able to to actually draw anything mm-hmm. so yeah they, they 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 will then know they're taking you right back to basics and then they will know that you've got each of the layers required before they get onto the next one yeah absolutely there, there, there is mm, you know okay. theory of light shade etc 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 and actually um, we were starting to ask ourselves but when are we actually going to make cars because everybody wanted to make cars <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're there <laughs> but, but of course there was some big prepara- uh, preparatory work for that mm. but we, of course we were in pay, all impatient like when are we going to make cars <laughs> because of- in seven years you might be good to go back and then when uh, uh, when things go on and um we start to have some projects. Let's say the, the the teachers came up with projects for us, a small project or of a few weeks. They they come up with a package. They come up with a uh, come up with a concept with a brand, and then you have to give your your better interpretation of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and so on and so on and so on. Always, always more complicated. Always constantly, you know, going more into the detail, exterior, interior, and and basically the the teacher, the teachers were all uh, professionals from the field. So okay, so yeah. it was actually a direct feedback from from the field because they they were leaving office and then come to see us at school okay right so it wasn't just academics no 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 teaching theory these are people who are actually living and breathing this they are going through it they know what the kickback will be they know what the reaction will be if a certain you know if a wing mirror is done in a certain way then they will be able to say they will listen to your your reasoning and then be able to uh, um, discuss that with you in a very practical way. Absolutely. I remember. That must have been so helpful. Yeah, totally. Because uh, you have uh, one guy, one guy from Pininfarina who comes, who comes and see you and tells you how to do it. Then there is another class, one guy from Fiat that tells you how to do it. So, so it's, Mm, you learn pretty quickly. You have really to be a sponge and try to yeah. uh, try to take it all in. And and actually, the results are fantastic. I've seen people that didn't have a clue at the beginning, mm. and and now they are they are professionals and and they're actually and they're actually great. So yeah. it is absolutely entirely possible to start without being able to start be without being able to draw anything, mm. and then become a car designer with enough energy, enough willpower, and enough work, 
and the right tuition is entirely possible. Excellent. Well, it gives hope to the for all of us then. <laughs> all of us who sit there on our our um as, as backseat critics of design. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, which you, which you, which there's plenty of us on Twitter <laughs> who have no qualification, no right to make a comment, but we do. <laughs> yeah, actually, it was very interesting um, when you were speaking with um, with Lee about the um, about the uh, the difference in perception between general public and designers. Yeah. How how it can be strikingly different. <laughs> yes, I've noticed because I, I, there are a couple of cars out there, um, and that I, that I have chatted to Lee in privately about, and he has a particular, um, a, a very much a, 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 his professional view on it. And then I hear how uh, motion journalists and the public react to that car. And as you say, it is completely the opposite end of the spectrum. It couldn't be more different. And, and you think, well, which one's which one's right here? It, it it both and neither. It all depends on how many sell. I think that's the, that's it at the end of the uh, day. Ah, yeah. In the end, it, I mean, is so uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna leap into a big question here. Ultimately, is a successful design one that sells? Oh yes, of course. So that's that's one of the criteria that makes it a successful design, uh, not necessarily a good-looking design. That's a, that's a very different question, but uh, I'm just thinking more of a successful design. Yeah, because if if we say uh, if we have to define a successful design, it has is a of course if it's also something that gains big acceptance from the public. This, of course, accounts as a successful design. Yeah, mm-hmm. we can we can say that, even if the designers might not agree. But yes, a car that actually finds favor with the with the public. Yeah, it, it did its job, earning money for the manufacturer and actually convincing a lot of people to buy it. So yes. It is a successful design. There's a couple of big questions about design I want to ask you, but I don't want to do that just yet. I want to go into a bit of your car history first, because I think we could talk for a little bit about these bigger design questions, uh, and I don't want to suck up all that time and forget your car history or anything. So when did you learn to drive, and when did you get your first car? Okay, so I finally got my license. It was 2001. And, you know, it was right at the time when Peugeot was stopping making the 106 Welly. Mm-hmm. And that was the car I wanted. <laughs> the last... 106 rally to put the big stereo on, do handbrake turns. <laughs> yeah. I was 18, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but my father, being older and wiser, knew that a 106 in my hands at that time wouldn't have lasted long. 
So he, he handed me down his car, which was a rather unpromising start for my motoring history because it was a Mercedes A140 automatic transmission. The very first A-class. Yes, I know it well. I know. Unfortunately, I know. I'm not a fan of that car, but yes, I know it well. I, I like the idea, and I like some of the packaging. I'm not a fan of the execution. Yeah, totally agree with you. The car was, from a packaging standpoint, brilliant. The problem is it was put together like crap. It was definitely to a budget. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I remember my the driver's seat, my driver's seat was constantly squeaking. It, <laughs> and I never understood why. There was this constant, the, it squeaked every time I took a bump. And living in Italy and with the, with the A-class, that was that had a very uh, a very stiff suspension. Basically, yeah. it was every rug in every irregularities in the road, like squeaking. It was drove me nuts. <laughs> Had to have the stereo really loud. <laughs> <laughs> Even the stereo sucked on that car. Yes. <laughs> My, and being the one being the one point four petrol, it was you know. Acceleration, like mm, watching ice melt. It was like very <laughs> slow. Oh, you want to try the one point seven diesel then? <laughs> was worse. Oh, oh, that's it's it's not quick. It's not going to get you anywhere. Uh, you're not you're not going to beat anyone off the lights. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a bicycle. You might have a bicycle over ten miles. <laughs> But I, because I, I, the last Mercedes that I spent any time with was my, my dad had a, uh, an E300 formatic uh, 1991, and he had that for a really long time. Um, and it, it had all the toys in it as well. So I went from that into uh, an A-class. And I, I was, I'd sit in there and I'd go, well, that's not Mercedes, is it? I mean, this this material is not Mercedes, but of course it's to a budget and it's to open it to a wider audience, which has been successful because you look at them now and, you know, everybody has a Mercedes or a BMW or an Audi, don't they? So, you know, from that, they, they really did uh, open the brand up to the rest of us, as it were, <laughs> wasn't just the executives anymore. Yeah, totally. We could say it was a successful design, but a rubbish car. Yeah, we, mm. we, we could say so. And talking about the, that uh, W124 Mercedes, I remember so of only a few years ago, um, um, the granddad of my girlfriend was stopping to drive and he had a pristine W124 Mercedes black coupe with black leather interior, 300 petrol engine, the 24 valve version. Yeah. It was spotless. Black on black. And I remember riding in that car. Every, everything felt 
like made to over made to last a century. Yes, absolutely. It was over engineered. Yeah, it was really, really an, a magnificent motor. And I actually tried to buy it off him, but probably he said, no, 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 no. You got my granddaughter already. You are not <laughs> going to take my car. <laughs> yeah, that's enough. <laughs> so, what it, so how long did you have the A-Class for? Luckily, not much time. <laughs> because... It gave up the ghosts. The automatic transmission packed up at sixty thousand kilometers, which is right. yeah, which is like I don't know forty thousand miles. Mm. <laughs> the, the automatic transmission packed up, and of course, it was being Mercedes. It was like five thousand euro replacing it, and yeah, and, yeah. and we got rid of it. Mm, and it was it wasn't missed not at all <laughs> so what did you move on to uh, then i got a 2003 brand new uh mini cooper all oh, right yeah and uh, the, the, the 1.6 naturally aspirated and mm. in re- in classic red with the with the white top etc etc and you know, in 2003 in Italy, that car was that car was cool. I remember mm. people were look people were looking at me, and when when I parked the mini, uh, people would stare at the car, uh, look at it. You know, I was a bit the envy of my friends with that car. Really, it was in that period in time. It it was somehow a somewhat a very cool car in that moment. Yeah, I think that when Mini came back, they that design and that uh, the the message that they put out for the brand made it a classless car. It, it was certainly in this country for a while, all walks of life had a Mini, and you weren't you know it wasn't all you know particularly for a particular sector of of society everybody from society could have a mini and no one would think less of someone from having it i think it was it was a very rare car in that respect i think totally i think it's unique almost unique in that respect the, also the the original mini somehow managed to do the same in in a short mm. period in time at least in the 60s i guess yeah. It was a bit classless, but yeah, and uh, I still highly regard the 2001 Mini from a design standpoint because yeah, people were moaning that was not space efficient, that betrayed the Isigoni's legacy, but in the end, they did. Mm, they did a brilliant job. The car looked great, and actually, that first new Mini is still the best looking of the crop. Absolutely, I agree. I totally agree, particularly at the front. Totally, totally, because there wasn't the there the weren't a, a pedestrian regulation at the time. They had a smaller engine, also. 
so they could actually uh, pack everything very, very close. And actually, I remember, the, I remember how the, um, the clamshell bonnet actually fitted the almost very, very flush with all the mechanicals, was very, mm, very yeah. tightly packed uh, at, uh, at the front. But, yeah, that's an engine bay I'm glad I never had to get my hands in. <laughs> yeah, but it, it was actually quite, um, not so bad because with the clamshell, uh, with the clamshell bonnet, um, everything went up. And uh, actually, that clamshell bonnet had a side effect because I don't know why, but uh, I always had trouble with the headlights. The the headlight suggester stopped working very early on, and I was mm. constantly changing bulbs. All right. Yeah, I, I don't know why. Yes, one thing I remember about the the mini is that it did have its fair share of little problems. Nothing major, but I remember I changed. Um, Three exhaust manifolds. Mm, I don't know how many times the um, the electric windows, um, th- things like that. But in the end, it um, it did two hundred thousand kilometers, and it was a lot of fun to drive. Wait, fun. Yeah, uh, I had a uh, or my wife had a um, diesel Cooper. Yeah. Um, and that's the first time I experienced the dieselness or the diesel effect of hitting the red line because I, I was used to petrol. The first couple of times I got in, I was used to petrol where it would go a bit into the red. But this thing hit the red, and that's it. There is no more go. You have to change gear. That's it. End of story. <laughs> and, it, and it was it was very abrupt in that as well. There was no messing around. There was no well. We can eke a few thousand more revs out. No, it was like you've hit the red. That's it. Nothing else happening. So there, there was that. But the one thing I really found with it was how small the um, washer reservoir was, the screen wash reservoir. Oh, yes, it was. It seemed like it would hold a thimble of fluid and you'd squirt it two or three times and you'd have to fill it up again. <laughs> that, that, that I found annoying, particularly winter in Britain. It's not the greatest that you're having to fill it up on a journey. Because... <laughs> So you've you've done two hundred thousand uh, kilometers in that. You've had a great time. Yeah. Uh, what do you move on to next? Then I started. Work, then I was already starting working as a, as a designer. And so the little money that I got for me, it was all the money in the world. And of course, the best thing I could think about spending it, it was buying cars. It was <laughs> like the logical conclusion was buying cars and. The first one is probably the worst mistake I've ever done. I still regret it because I don't know why I bought a, a 1979 Citroen GS X3 in orange. Okay. And the GS is a brilliant car, really a, an awesome design. I love it. Trouble is, the one I bought wasn't. It was in a field. It hadn't moved for uh, hadn't moved for years. Every panel was dented. It was rusty. It barely ran. Uh, the interior was shot. It was a car that should have been scrapped. Really, so, I shouldn't have bought it. <laughs> um, for 
I know it, it was a rare car because the X3 was a rare version, but that car really, really was only fit for the scrapyard. So was that the heart ruling over the head? Totally, totally. <laughs> We're all guilty of that, I think. <laughs> I know I have been. <laughs> but the worst part is that taking it home, I should have realized that and scrapped it. But no, I was young, stupid, and also a misty-eyed opti- optimist. <laughs> So my dad had a, had a workshop and they said, okay, with the help of a friend, I will restore it myself. With a friend of mine, I think I spent, um, I don't know, two, two years working on that car. We, we first dismantled it totally. We, we took away everything to prepare it for the body shop. Sunblasted, sunblasted the body shell, had it painted, uh, and then putting everything onto it again. And naturally, finding all the spares, all the things that were broken, uh, lots of them, and so on and so forth. But then, you know, after two years, there have been changes in my life, and you know, and. After two years, the engine wasn't still in. <laughs> so I got with it. I say, okay. And there was this friend of mine who helped me along all the way. And uh, I said, oh, okay, sod it. Take it away. It's a gift. Um, <laughs> just, <laughs> just, I don't want to see it again. And so the car actually, I think now 10 years have passed. And as far as I know, the engine is still out of the car. (laughs) (laughs) So what were you driving whilst this was in the garage? No, no, I was still driving the Mini, of course. The GS GS was, um, I bought it. Because of my love for Citroëns that we discussed uh, earlier, okay. yep. and um, but I wanted another classic. So with my Fiat Money, because I was I was working in Fiat at the time, um, I bought a 1976 Triumph Spitfire 1500. Okay, wow! British racing green. Beige, beige interior, lovely on the surface. Oh dear. I'm sensing there's a theme developing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I was still very young and still very optimist. And I did pretty much every mistake that you can do buying while buying a second hand car. Everything, everything they tell you you shouldn't do, I did it. <laughs> Some lessons you have to learn the hard way. <laughs> yeah, 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 totally, totally. I, first, <laughs> I bought the very first one I've seen. Then I, I had a test drive in it, top down, outside of the city, Nice country road, 
sun is shining, mm-hmm. and so I got... That will be exactly how it is you drive it from, from then on, when once you buy it. It will only be like that. It'll be perfect, it'll be idyllic, it'll be wonderful. There won't be any city roads, you won't have to deal with any congestion or anything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And this ideal situation made me not notice or not caring about that the gearbox actually needed a rebuild, that uh, the car was actually full of filler and repainted the wrong color. Problems started as soon as I took it home. So did you still have the Mini as your daily driver? Yeah, luckily, luckily. Okay, good. This is good. You're not walking yet. Luckily, yeah, 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 yeah. I could could afford all these stupid things because I had an actual car. So what what happened? Did you did you start down the lengthy restoration project again, or had your fingers been burned too badly last time? Now with the Spitfire, it wasn't it it was an unloved car, but it wasn't so bad as the GS. The GS was just a pile of a pile of. <laughs> there was no way around it. Then <laughs> the Spitfire actually it it was fit for a rolling restoration. Okay. Mm, but the car didn't feel like rolling a lot. <laughs> it was like constantly in and out of the workshop. I think I rebuilt and or replaced almost every component. So you are the you were the Spitfire expert in Italy at that point. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I um, I knew the I knew the um, the spare parts catalog by hand because I, I was ordering pretty much everything. But actually, you know. And if it wasn't for the bills, I was actually enjoying visiting that workshop because Mm. that workshop was a step back in time. It was the reference point for all British cars enthusiasts in Turin. And it was a small shop without a sign, without everything. It was just behind the Fiat Mirafiori plant. And uh, it was a sort of cognoscenti thing. If you didn't know it was there, you wouldn't notice. <laughs> I love those places. <laughs> and inside, it was a treasure trove. Every time I stepped in, there was at least two Jaguars, a Rolls Royce. It was everything that was British and old and broken. Well, that, that, that didn't need saying. It's old and British. <laughs> <laughs> So do you think you enjoyed the Spitfire more than the GS because you could see progress? You would fix something and that would make it work for a while before you needed to change something else, whereas the GS sounded like it was a constant slog of trying to get to a point where you could actually try and drive it to enjoy it. You just didn't get that opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. The Spitfire, at least I got, I got to enjoy it. The GS, no. The GS uh, was in a million pieces the moment I bought it, basically. I never, I've never actually driven it. What did you move on to, uh, or how long did you keep the, the Spitfire? The Spitfire, I kept it two years, and I sold it for more money that I paid for it. Oh, we like that. We're big fans of that on this show. We are very much that somebody who can come out with a profit. No, I didn't keep up with a profit because, yeah, the car was the, the, the car sold for almost double the amount 
I bought it for. Oh, the the parts they don't count. That doesn't count. No, 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 no. You can't count that. No, 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 no. just no, just no, the, no. The, how much you've sold. It. <laughs> See, you're you're amongst friends in the delusional <laughs> world of people who like cars. <laughs> yeah, I sold it well, but not so well. <laughs> <Let's see>. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you go for something old and classic again, or? Um, was this time to change the Mini, or what, what stage are we at now? It was about time to ch- to move on from the Mini, and also um, it's fair to say that they had enough of classic cars, and so um, and so I decided also because the Mini passed from being cool to being something of an embarrassment because it was okay. it was a great car, but. I was starting to feel about, but I shouldn't be driving this. This is not an enthusiast car. Mm-hmm. And so I decided that I needed an MX-5. Okay. And, and I got myself a 1997 Mark I MX-5 in black. And I, I have fond memories of that car. Really, it was great. It was my first MX, MX-5. And it's fondly remembered. Was a a great car, really, really, really. Had lovely, a lot of great memories with it because it worked. Yes, that's number one. (laughs) (laughs) I I wasn't constantly having to go to the parts department. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I could actually go places with it without support vehicles to help you. Well, at, at this point in the, the show, this is where Alan is now doing backflips because he's happy to hear someone else likes MX-5s. So, um, Oh, yeah, I'm an MX-5 evangelist. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, I, I, I can never let you, uh, you and Alan alone then. <laughs> um, if anybody wants to get any sense out of you two, to get, you'll have to go in your own special corner. <laughs> so how long did you have that Mark One for then? Mm, I think three years, if I remember well. Okay. Then and you're still in you're still in Italy, aren't you? I was still point. in Italy at that point. Yeah. And the last car I bought in Italy was another MX-5. Which mark was this? It, it was the it was the Mark 2.5 in MX-5 <laughs> okay. circles <laughs> because it, it was the um, the restyling of the NB generation, the second generation, and in mm. silver. And also another another very good car, very good car. Had a lovely time with it. And actually, I think the second generation MX-5 is underrated currently because it was actually so much a better car compared to the original. The styling, yes, is not so iconic. I give it that. But the hood was better and... The, the best thing, the thing I loved the most about it was that it felt rigid. The structure really, really felt, you know, DNA MX-5, the, that body shell was designed in the 80s, was good for the time, but uh, in the third millennium, it's just too flimsy. Yeah, it does seem like one that you can go up and press the panels and they will flex a lot. Yeah, it did. It does flex a lot. I remember on the bigger bumps... I could actually hear as as like noise that was actually the the door mechanism 
because because the let's say that the the door area was actually flexing and so um uh, and so the door mechanism was making a, a slight noise all right yeah, yeah. It was, and a really really a lot of scuttle shake nothing really really too too bad much less than the Spitfire, of course, but but you know it's an it's annoying because we're not used to it anymore. Mm, yeah. It's it's a bit too light, a bit too flimsy DNA. It's very light, but for some for some reasons, and the MB has a much better body shell, despite being a direct relation to DNA. The MB is a much better car. <laughs> Absolutely. And mm. uh, trouble is, my one was very reliable. The MB, the second generation MX-5, was very reliable, as they all are. But um, it, I had to sell it because I was moving to Spain, and it was starting to rust pretty seriously. Something unusual in Italy. But... Um, both seals were starting to go. Mm. Yeah, the, and so I say, okay, it's about time that we let it go. The buyer didn't notice. And so, okay. <laughs> 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 the, 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 that was it. Because it looked good on the surface, but actually mm. upon closer inspection, the seals were starting to go. Mm. Which which wasn't which wasn't common in Italy. MX five. I know in UK, Rust is the is the first MX five killer. Mm. But in Italy, it, it was unheard of. But anyway, sold it, and then I moved to Spain. And after a while, I I think in Barcelona, I stayed. I resisted six months without a car. Ooh. Was that easy? Oh, yeah, totally easy, because here public transport is excellent. I actually don't need a car, but it would have been me without one. Hmm. So I decided that I wanted, that I wanted another MX-5, and I bought the car I have now, which is a Mark III MX-5 2008. And um, actually, I, did a, I took a very stupid decision. Because I bought it in Italy because second-hand cars in Italy are cheaper than in Spain for some reason that I don't know. But I didn't factor in that that saving was going to be eaten up by the, all the bureaucracy to change the number plate. Ah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so... Red red tape will eat your money. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. That importing a car, a, mis- a mistake I will never, another mistake I will never make again. So, are you still enjoying it? I love it. I love it. And because I know you've been toying with getting a new one, haven't you? Oh yes, yes. This is a <laughs> this is quite a nice story because you know. I was waiting for the new MX-5 to come out. I'm a huge Mazda fan, as you might have guessed. <laughs> and so I was actually, I remember when, when they did the, the, the launch event online, 
I was at 2 a.m. in the morning, awake, looking at the phone, the reveal. That's dedication. Yeah, I couldn't wait to see it. This is for professional reasons only. I just want to see the design. That's all it is. Yes, yes. Not, nothing, you know, not that I'm now an, an MX-5 anorak or anything at all. No, not at no, all. No, no, no. I just wanted to see how they, um, how they sorted up the design. <laughs> <laughs> before everyone else how quickly I could put my name down for one <laughs> and and I I fell in love with it straight away because and now we talk from a design point of view um, I think uh, the current MX-5 has struck the right balance because when you are redoing when whenever you are redoing an icon or, or let's say, let's not use this word because it's a bit overused, but whenever you are, as a designer, putting your hands onto something, a, a nameplate that has a very strong history and fan base, like Ford when they do the Mustang, Chevrolet when they do the Corvette, Mazda when they do the MX-5, it, it's tricky because... You know, you have to really, really strike the right point because you, from one side, you want to keep the fans happy, the ones you already have. From the other side, the nameplate to survive and thrive in the future needs also to win new fans, to appeal to a new generation, to appeal to new people also. Yeah. So it's you're constantly... A walking this tightrope between being progressive, moving moving forward, but not too much. And I think they were with the current MX-5, they took a risk, but they did the right job because the car was is still an MX-5, but looks far fresher, looks sharper. I love it. And I love the fact that that is actually the smallest they've ever done. I love the fact that it's so light, that it's so pure. It was love at first sight, and they wanted one from from day one. Well, I mean, this is this, uh, unfortunately, I know Alan will will hear this, uh, uh, but I I think the MX Five looks cracking. It really does look great. I think it's got a nice blend of aggression, but it's not too aggressive. Um, it is, uh, I think the proportions are wonderful and I like the lines down the flanks. It, they've not, uh, done too much sculpting and too many odd angled slashes and swoops, which is, uh, seems to be a bit of a trend in, from some manufacturers at the moment where the, there needs to be lots of slashes and swoops on the sides of cars. Um, and I, I, I like, I, I particularly love the headlights. Oh, yeah, the headlights look very... I, I think they're fantastic because the technology is there now that we don't need massive headlights. Totally. We don't need those big holes. Uh, and I think this is the first car that's that's really sort of shown people and gone, no, no, hang on, we, do, we don't need that now. We don't need to do that. And because of that, we can design the front a bit different because I think we're, we're a bit stuck historically that you know, we always have these big lamps on the front. Uh, it's like we always have a grill. I mean, if, not that I want to uh, pin you down to 
you know, I won't ask your comment on this, but I always feel the front of a Tesla is a bit awkward because there's no grill. And I know it's sort of like trans, it's trying, or it appears to me uh, as a non-designer, uh, <laughs> that they are trying to educate the public in, you're used to a grill and a front like this. However, we have an electric motor, so we don't need that. So we're taking on the first steps away from what you traditionally think a car should look like. That's the end of part one of my chat with Matteo. Next week, part two will be out if you're all good and behave. Thanks once again to Matteo for coming on Rearview and chatting to me. I hope you found that first part of our conversation as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on the show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearviewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. To get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. If you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out our sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, our Audible offer, available at motoringpodcast.com forward slash support, which if taken up helps support the Motoring Podcast and what we produce. Please leave a rating and review on iTunes, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing, as it really does make a difference to the show and helps other people find it. So until next time, that was Matteo Licata, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.